Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God, which is what we're supposed to be seeking Aren't we supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, we we cover a lot of different topics, but we're always coming back to the gospel of the kingdom because it radically changed the thinking of many of the people at the time of Christ and throughout the ages. And there's a radical difference between the way Christ was saying to seek liberty under God, which is what the kingdom of God is. It's liberty under God. Uh, a quote, you know, uh, that's come up since uh, the beginning I uh, that I began writing books, uh, and it was around a long time before that, was uh, cease to be DeMille's quote, are men the property of the state or are they free souls under God? Well, obviously at different times, different people are the property of the state. And they are not free souls under God, and they become the property of the state, which they uh, it would be like being merchandise, being uh, possessions, uh, being subjects of the state. Uh, comes about throughout history for a variety of reasons, but a certain spirit usually flows through a society where this takes place. And that's what Christ was talking about. That's what Moses was talking about. Moses freed people from the domination and bondage of Egypt. The Bible tells us never to go back to that bondage. Uh, Christ freed people also from that bondage, which was the Christian conflict. Because some people didn't want to recognize that Christ had freed people from a similar bondage of that time. And uh, he had done it not by fighting against or warring against. And, of course, Moses had done the same thing without fighting against or warring against any political regime. That's not the strategy of the radical nature of the gospel of the kingdom. The radical nature of the gospel of the kingdom operates much differently. Now, there are a lot of people who call themselves radicals today. Even Satan is called a radical by Saul Alinsky, who wrote uh, the book, Rules for Radicals. And uh, the idea is that we are being coached by either Christ or by the adversary of Christ, by somebody contrary to the ways of Christ. And that's what Christianity was called, the way. So I've added to a number of pages that we already had up, and uh, I'm... You know, I sometimes forget how many things that we do have available uh, for people. You can you can go and read our page on uh, ideological subversion, uh, which is uh, contained in that page is an article on Yuri Bezmenov, who was a Russian KGB officer who defected to the United States and was telling people in an interview how the KGB was planning to take over the United States, to subvert, ideologically subvert the United States. Well, 
he came up with these ideas. The KGB came up with these ideas. They've been around for a long time. And I just added this morning to our article on Rules for Radicals a little clip from a cartoon that was in the Chicago Tribune way back in 1934, which uh, is kind of a synopsis in the cartoon of the strategy of the communists. A lot of people have adopted that strategy without ever even knowing the communists. They're not even thinking that they're communists, although many of them have uh, thought of becoming a communist. Why does that appeal to them? Why does becoming a socialist appeal to people? And the reality is it's it's not just culture. It's not just what they learn from the outside. It has to do with the spirit that dwelleth in them. And of course, Christ was talking about a spirit that dwelleth in you as well and talks about cleaning up your house and he has a number of rules for the radicals of Christianity. And he lays those rules out. And I actually just added those this morning, some of those rules, uh, to the same page on rules for radicals. And the page starts out, you know, it has this little cartoon. I always like to have some sort of graphics on the page so that if we share this on Facebook, you can see uh, something that will show up as uh, symbolizing that particular page. And so I I added that cartoon as uh, the imagery of that page. But the page begins to talk about a guy by the name of uh, Saul David uh, Alinsky. You know, he was born in 1909, died in 1972, and wrote a book by the name of Rules for Radicals. And a number of things have been attributed to Saul Alinsky. And, you know... I mean, he worked for the mafia, or at least mafia people, for a while. He, But he did do a lot of organizing, community organizing, and learned a lot about that, and had some success. And And some of the things that he organized for to improve the situation of people was really a pretty good idea, because there was a lot of room for improvement, to, to say the least. Because people were being abused by other people. And organizing yourselves in a way to combat that abuse of people in power or people in positions of money and influence. That's a good idea. But the way in which you organize, the spirit in which you organize, may bring about conditions and results and effects that will not be as validly freeing as Moses was when he freed the people from Egypt or Christ was when he freed the people from the domination of uh, of men like Herod and, uh, and the Pharisees and some of the corruption. Because there was a great deal of corruption in the government of Judea at the time of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was just calling Jesus the Christ is calling him the king. Of Judea, because the word Christ means anointed, and if you were to say that in the Hebrew, it'd be Meshiach, and Meshiach is the Hebrew word for anointed, and that would be the Messiah. By calling Jesus Christ, you're calling him the Messiah. If you're calling him the Messiah, you're saying that he is the rightful king, the highest son of David, another thing that Jesus was called, highest son of David. Who was doing things that only, only the king could do. 
So what was Jesus doing that only the king could do? Well, he was firing the money changers. He who were the porters of the temple. Only David could do that. Actually, the high priest could do that. But then there's evidence that Jesus was the high priest as well. Now, a lot of people don't tell you that. That's one of those things that those pieces of knowledge that we like to share with you so that you can begin to understand the wholeness of the gospel. Because Jesus was uh, literally, if at that particular time, outside of the biblical text, although there's some references that would lead us to believe this inside the biblical text, there was upheavals going on. There was shenanigans going on in the political realm at that particular time. We know that from history. Herod really had no position to be king. Before that, you had uh, uh, other kings that came into power and there was this vying for who was the rightful king. And then, of course, Herod divided the kingdom into three parts and one part went to Philip and one part went to Herod Antipas, his son, and another one went to a third son who Herod eventually had executed because he accused him of trying to overthrow Herod himself. And so there was there was a lot of this intrigue going on in the government at that time. There were riots that are mentioned in the New Testament had to do with an aqueduct that was put in and the funds that were used to produce uh, this public works of putting in the aqueduct to bring fresh water into Jerusalem because Jerusalem was growing. It was growing because of the fact that the Romans were there and Romans were investing in roads, investing in harbors, building cities like Caesarea, setting up temples, which is what they operated their social welfare system through. Herod was taking on many of the practices that had become popular in Rome. And those of you who have stuck with us and, and done some study on the matter understand that Rome had been a republic and had been transitioning from a republic to an indirect democracy and then an imperial power with a commander-in-chief who was called the emperor and a president of Rome who was called the Principas Civitas who was the chief executive officer of Rome and a senate who could be called be called lawmakers the senate originally was senate were just old men who people respected but now they had become lawmakers and were making laws and the citizens had become enfranchised and and there was a lot of stuff going on for those first 500 years of Rome. Because for those first 500 years, they were not an empire. They grew into that empire with, you know, like we've mentioned before, Polybius said that because people were coming becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others, they were they were literally being changed. Their culture, the Roman culture, was being altered. And they were bringing in lots of other cultures. The Greek culture came in when they defeated the Greeks. Uh, the Celts were bringing a certain amount of their culture to Great Britain. And with that, a lot of knowledge. The, the Celts had a lot of knowledge of farming and agriculture. And that was coming in. Uh, so all these different things were coming into Rome, and Rome was usually figuring out how to make money with these uh, learned knowledges and 
and bits and pieces coming from culture. And I've added considerably to our page on culture, asking the question, does culture matter? What is culture? I mean, we talk about, you know, uh, multiculturalism. Well, culture itself is is multi. I mean, it, it's a... Uh, it's the cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, notions of time, roles, spatial relationships, concepts of the universe, material objects, and possessions acquired by a group of people in the course of generations through individual and group striving. So that that's one definition of culture, but that covers a lot of different things. So you had knowledge that the Greeks were bringing to Rome. You had knowledge that the Celts were bringing to Rome. That when you know Rome conquered North Africa, uh, they brought knowledge up from North Africa, and they also brought lots of other things. You know, some of the medicines, some of the drugs, some of the practices. And, of course, the Greeks had acquired some cultural appropriation when they had fought uh, the nations in the Far East. And uh, so, you know, Alexander the Great had gone around and he would picked up cultural things as well as he had picked up diseases from some of these places and brought them back and shared them with the other Greeks, which were now sharing some of these ideas and, and problems of culture with the Romans, and this was diluting their own culture. In some ways, it strengthened their culture, but it depends on what knowledge, what experience, what beliefs, what values, what attitudes you take from a particular culture. So multiculturalism can be good or it can be bad, depending on what values you accept from that culture and take on as your own values. In some cultures, it's okay to rape. In some cultures, it's okay to oppress uh, groups of people and enslave groups of people. People talk about the Bible promoting slavery. Somebody actually posted something about that late last night. I've been up most of the night because we're in the middle of lambing here. So that means we lose a lot of sleep. <laughs> but, And I thought like, the Bible does not promote slavery. It allows for servitude, but it puts all kinds of restrictions on that servitude. The Bible also allows divorce, but it does not promote divorce. It allows divorce, but it puts restrictions on that divorce. I mean, Jesus even says, Moses gave you divorce because of the hardness of your heart. Not because God wanted you to have divorces. It was not that way from the beginning. So you misconstrue the Bible when it talks about slavery. It's not promoting slavery. And what it's actually promoting is servitude. Not promoting, but allowing is servitude. The same servitude that was allowed in the Old Testament of the Bible is absolutely legal today in the United States. Most of our laws dealing with employment come from Roman laws on slave-master relationships. Uh, unemployment. That comes directly, at, you know, unemployment insurance comes directly out of slave-master laws in Rome. 
Those are ideas that come from that. You might not want to call employment slavery, but if, you know, I mean, if you go read our article on employee versus enslaved, and the reality is that there really was no slavery uh, of any consequence in Egypt at the time of the Israelite bondage in Egypt. And the historians will tell you that. There was servitude, but that servitude was based on debt and inherited positions and taxation. If if somebody can require that you have to give them the value of your labor, you don't get the value of your labor. Somebody else will get the value of your labor, whether it's 10% or 5% or 20% or or uh, 75%, you're a slave for that percent. You're working without pay for that percent. That's bondage. That's servitude. You don't want to call it slavery. You want to call it employment, employment tax. Uh, uh, but, you know, even income tax, it, another word for that in the Bible is tribute. And the Bible tells you that slothful shall be under tribute. And Jesus even tells you that if you owe the tax, you pay the tax. But if you don't understand the context of what he's saying in history, the context of the Bible and the person who was saying that the Bible promoted slavery, uh, and it took us thousands of years, I can't remember what it was that he said, hundreds of centuries, for us to overcome the teachings of the Bible. You haven't learned the teachings of the Bible if you think that. You don't understand what you're talking about because it's not promoting slavery. It's allowing servitude. As a matter of fact, it it points out that you should not go out, you know, and attack people for the purposes of enslaving them (laughs) and, and then selling them as a slave for profit. You're not supposed to do that in the Bible. But that goes on every day today now, especially up in in uh, countries like Libya. Uh, that's all. The, the slave markets are open again in Libya since the since the what did Hillary say? We came, we saw, we basically she said conquered. I won't say what she actually said, but uh, when they they created this power vacuum in Libya. Now, there are people being enslaved, physically brutalized slavery, not servitude, slavery. And uh, that's thanks to meddling by people who, uh, that other people actually admire and want to make them president of the United States. (laughs) Because they don't know what's going on. The facts don't seem to matter. People are very confused. I mean, uh, another article that was our story in the news is two transgender women. That's what they call them. I always have trouble with this. They say, okay, they're transgender women. Is that women who think they're men or men who think they're women? Well, evidently, I kind of got it. A transgender woman, according to the news, is a man who wants everybody to think that he's a woman because he wants to identify as a woman. He actually is a man. He's a male biologically he's a male but he wants you to think and treat him as if he was a woman well that's a that's a delusion he's he has what you call 
gender dysphoria was called gender dysphoria for years. He he doesn't want to be identified as the male that he actually is biologically. And so now he's going and getting in races and and others, you know, other sports, including wrestling, which, I mean, I, I'm just astounded that you're going to let this guy wrestle girls because he thinks he's a girl. Well, that means I should be able to rob banks because I think I'm rich. You know, I go in there with a withdrawal slip. I would like to take a million dollars out of my account. They say, well, you don't have an account. Uh, yeah, I feel like I have an account. I think I have an account. I want to identify with rich people. Is you don't want to give me my million dollars? How dare you attack my delusion? <laughs> I mean, that's what they're doing. This guy has had, these guys have had male hormones secreting in their body since before they were born. And those male hormones have given them stronger bones, bigger muscles, stronger muscles, and uh, bigger lungs, bigger organs than, than woman. But he wants to identify as a woman, so he's going to go out and compete as a woman. <laughs> against women it's ridiculous it's insane that you want to cater to his delusion now here's a question by catering to his delusion are you doing him a favor or are you doing him an injury because you know if i mean if they gave me a million dollars at the bank would that be a good thing or would that be a bad thing well obviously you have to steal a million dollars from somebody because I don't really have a million dollars in the bank, but I feel like I do. I want to identify as a millionaire. So, I mean, they should give me a million dollars, right? No. No, absolutely not. And they should not treat him as a woman. I mean, if he wants to be called a girl, that's fine. You guys can work that out. But he isn't. He's a male. And he shouldn't be allowed to wrestle girls and beat them up. And compete. I mean, you know what's going to happen to these guys who win these awards? Eventually, they're going to come to the realization that they're not really girls. And they've been trying to act like they're winners as women when they're not really women. And so, it's going to be false accolades. Counterfeit accolades that they're receiving. And they're going, then comes guilt. They're going to feel guilty about the fact that they beat these girls, sometimes out of scholarships. Some of those girls might have got scholarships, might have got into colleges of their choice because they were the winners. But now people are going to look at their scores and say, well, they weren't winners. These other two women were winners because in the, it doesn't actually say that they're women, that they're men proposing as women. <laughs> so that they're out. So they're actually being put at a disadvantage to support the delusion of these guys who think they're women or want to identify as women. And they can do that. I'm fine with that if they want to identify with it. But I don't think they should be allowed to compete physically against women, especially in wrestling. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. And so we're, we're going to look at some of the other delusions that people have. Obviously, 
these people who want to think, you know, girls who want to think they're guys and guys who want to think they're girls. That's a delusion. They aren't really. They feel like it. They want to identify as it. And I understand that. And I, I don't think anybody should be mean to them. But I don't think it's being kind to them by supporting that delusion. You don't have to attack that delusion. But you don't have to support it. Certainly you don't have to support it at the cost of other people. The same as the bank can't actually give me a million dollars even though I want to identify with a millionaire. I want to be treated as a millionaire and I want to withdraw my money, my million dollars from their bank, even though I don't really have a million dollars in the bank. I mean, that that's, you know, people say, oh, that's not the same thing. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> it 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 is basically the same thing that you're doing. You know, if I, if, if I want to believe that I'm a brain surgeon, do I get to operate on your brain? <laughs> Just because I believe that I, I would do you harm. I would injure you. I mean, that's, you would know, you know that, right? That I'm not really a brain surgeon, but if I want to identify as one, and I put on, you know, a white coat and, you know, a stethoscope and I get some scalpels and everything. And I say, well, you know, I can fix your tumor and your brain. You're not going to let me do that. But you're going to let me wrestle your daughter because <laughs> I think I'm a woman. It's insane. It's crazy. And you have a delusion that you're actually doing them good. You're not doing them good. So... Talking about Saul Alinsky and what Saul Alinsky did. What, you know, the reason I got on this originally, this Saul Alinsky deal, is that somebody, and it's just gone kind of viral on the internet, has been publishing that Saul Alinsky wrote these eight steps to socialism. And it appears here and there all over the place. He didn't write it. It's not his. And, I mean, you can do facts check, uh, fact check with this on Snopes. Snopes will tell you that the claim that he wrote it is false. You know, they have a little article, Beware of Useful Idiots, and they have a picture of Saul Alinsky there. And uh, they quote somebody who says that Saul Alinsky wrote these eight rules for turning a nation into a socialist state. He did not write them. And they're right to say that that's false. But the fact is, somebody wrote them. And that's not false. Somebody had these ideas for turning the nation to socialism. And the fact is, is before they wrote them down, other people had the same ideas. They called it something else. And, and on the page, we actually cover some of those other rules that were called what what Solinsky did do I mean he organized a lot of people like I say to fight against un injustices but in 1970 or 71 I think he wrote a book rules for radicals and he did dedicate that book to Lucifer uh, because he considered Lucifer you know the first radical that uh, you know went against the establishment and ended up with his own domain as if hell is his own private domain. Well, yeah, but it is hell. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's he's got his own domain, but it's not necessarily a nice place to visit. 
it's hell. But the, he he got it, and it's not really entirely. He's only got legal titles to that domain. <laughs> you know, uh, Jesus can enter into hell, but Lucifer can't enter into heaven. So it's not quite the same as your own domain. He's <laughs> not really all that sovereign there. When Christ comes to hell, Lucifer's not sovereign anymore. And if you would follow the ways of Christ, Lucifer won't be your sovereign either. But if you follow the ways of Lucifer, yeah, you may end up in hell. And that's one of the things that uh, Saul Linsky said in an interview shortly before he died, was that it, it, he was asked if he believed in hell. He was a religious guy. He was Jewish. And he stayed married to the same woman uh, for years. I mean, his first wife uh, died, I think. His second wife had some sort of mental and physical issues and he wouldn't divorce her for years and years. And uh, although they didn't live together, I mean, she was in hospitals and everything else, uh, but he didn't believe in divorce because of his religious convictions. So, you know, he has some, but this is, you know, it's like culture. There are cultures that have good ideas and values and there are cultures that don't have such good ideas and values. And actually, many cultures have a blend of both. And so, anyway, Saul Alinsky, uh, finally, he got married to another woman. He stayed married to her uh, till the day he died. And, um, but, you know, I don't really know a great deal about his personal life. I never met him. I know that he was fighting for a lot of different people, but he also had some tactics that I would not consider exactly moral or Christ-like or even mosaic. <laughs> if you want more Machiavellian uh, and it, actually, there's a. He wrote, "What follows is for those who want to change the world from what it is to what they believe it should be." The prince was written by uh, Machiavelli for the haves on how to hold power. Rules for radicals is written for the have-nots on how to take it away. Well, I don't think that uh, it is a good idea to want to take away power from other people. I think it's it's a good idea to obtain the power that God intended you to have to begin with, which is the right to exercise your rights as an individual, those inalienable rights. You want to get those rights back. People think, well, I have inalienable rights and you can't infringe upon them. Well, you can have inalienable rights infringed upon if you have a practice of infringing upon the rights of others. Then you will become subject. That's part of the cause and effect of the universe. If you think it's okay to live at the expense of others, then the universe you live in, the realm you live in, whether you call it heaven or utopia or hell or communist state you become subject to that rule that it's okay to live at your expense see as you judge so shall ye be judged so if you judge it's okay to live at the expense of others others will get to live at your expense and that's the right you obtain in that realm that you have created for yourself and that's that's what hell is all about you have created the limitations of the world in which you live. 
by limiting the rights of others. You want to you wanna be free again? Set others free from your own ambitions and desires and Machiavellian intent. What, what does it mean, this Machiavellian? Some of you may not know, but someone Machiavellian is sneaky, cunning, lacking moral code. The word comes from the Italian philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli, who wrote a political treatise, The Prince, in the 1500s, that encourages the end justifies the means behavior, especially in politics. So, the ends does not justify the means, despite what you think. The reality is the means will create the ends. And that's kind of my point from the beginning. The rules you follow, whether you call them rules for radicals or whatever, the the way in which you approach the cultural values that you bring to the challenges of life will determine the outcome. The means determines the outcome. At the end of the book, he says, lest we forget, at least, uh, this is his dedication, an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all our legends, mythology, and history, and who to who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which. The first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom was Lucifer. So, anyway, that's part of his acknowledgement, whether you want to call it dedication or whatever, that that's his approach. But what, what did he actually write in the book? Now, he wrote this book, like he said, around 1970, and he died in 1972. I think maybe he published it in 1971. But there are basically 12 rules, and we're just going to take a brief look at them. I've got them outlined on the webpage. So, you know, there are, are the, I have in the outline, there's the rule, the common explanation of the rule, and then my comments from a kingdom point of view, which is why I've even brought up this subject. Well, this first rule is power is not only what you have, but what the enemy thinks you have, which sounds like something, I'm trying to think of the uh, Chinese... Uh, battle technician uh, Hansu uh, comes up with these kinds of uh, short little anecdotes to perception of virtue and reality and means by which to achieve your ultimate goals. But anyway, it's described as power is derived from different sources which can include both money and people. Have-nots must build power from organizing, but the motivation is coming together may determine the true power. So, the have-nots don't have money necessarily, at least not inexhaustible supplies of money. So, they have to have this power by coming together, uh, which is actually the facet of Rome, is this bundle of sticks where people come together and they bind themselves together and then that makes that one stick can't be broken because it's bound together with all these other sticks. So that's the theory behind that. Well, the means by which you bind the people together may determine the nature and the spirit by which that fachet operates. If you bind the people together with contracts and covenants and constitutions, 
then you're going to get a different outcome than if you bind the people together with love and compassion and honor, etc. And this this is basic to understand. So he's not wrong in saying that, you know, the power is not only the power they actually have, but there's an unseen power also that may be there as well. Well, if the power of you coming together is based on the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the way, there will be an additional power there that will be unseen by your enemy, but it will be in a very effective power. But anyway, from a kingdom point of view, I say the reason for coming together should be a matter of social virtue and morality for those uh, bonds to convey true power to the people. Thinking of individuals or even groups as the enemy, in other words, judging others, your quest for power must have a noble goal of righteousness. Bonds that come from conflict and common enemies are ineffective in areas that thrive on unity. So, you know, the the old adage, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, not really true. It's It's just giving you a certain reality of your enemy is fighting this guy he's not fighting you so it it does not make the enemy of your enemy your friend (laughs) it's really your friend because as soon as he's done with your enemy he's going to come after you what should your loyalty really be to is righteousness to those social virtues and morality and the bonds that create those are faith hope and charity so that's what Christ was doing was binding the people together in a unit based on faith, hope, and charity, which requires things like forgiveness. But anyway, his rule too is never go outside the expertise of your people. In other words, if they're not good at something, let's not try that. But it says, you know, the common explanation is it results in confusion, fear, and retreat. Feeling secure adds the backbone of anyone. Organizations under attack wonder why radicals don't address the real issues. This is why. They avoid things with which they have no knowledge. From a kingdom point of view, you should thri- you should strive to become an expert in all elements within the world where conflict may occur. Doing your homework well requires that you are willing to know the whole truth and become a true expert addressing real problems in their entirety for all of society in the present and the future. In order to do that, you have to be willing to see yourselves. You know, there there were problems in Chicago. I, I wouldn't even call them ghettos or slums. Uh, poor areas that people are actually buying their own homes. They were fixing up their homes. You can see pictures of Saul Olinsky uh, organizing some of these people. and A lot of them worked in the slaughterhouses. They're actually doing pretty good. They were not being fairly treated. They organized and got better treatment. And that was a good thing. But uh, if you look at the character of the people in the the crowds, and I, I, I went through and I got photographs from the 20s and 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, of all these people who were following some of the Sololinsky rules, and they went from looking like clean-cut, hard-working, 
diligent people, uh, husbands and wives and couples, healthy people, to being overweight, uh, mostly women, a uh, lot of weak men, it, it, and their health clearly went downhill. I mean, I don't know they their diets changed or whatever, but you just look at the photographs, just just no words, just the photographs of the crowds that were gathering, and you see a huge transition in the uh, in the character and in the faces of the people as well as the health and well-being of the people. And they were hard-working, industrious people, not being well-treated, gathered together in order to get fair treatment, and it worked. But then people used the same tactics to do something else. What happened? Well, we'll get to that. What was actually going on? What spirit was coming in because of some of these ideas? Now, remember, this book written by Saul Alinsky, was written long after most of the things that he accomplished. This is written in the 70s. And he had accepted certain ideas for organizing. And he, his livelihood, because he was a good organizer when there was really a need, people were using his ability to organize people to fight for things that were not necessarily quite as virtuous. And as noble. But like I said, we'll get into that. So rule number three. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. Well, if you're considered the enemy, again, that expertise means that you have to look at the the good and bad on both sides, including the side in which you're on. You have to be willing to see the truth about yourself. Are you really... You don't... You want to create them and us ideas or mentality... That's not going to be a good thing. It's not going to have a good outcome. What you, what did Christ say you were supposed to be seeking? Righteousness. So you want to know what is righteous in relationship. You know, if you're the employer and there's an employee who thinks that he's being mistreated, you want to look at it from his point of view. You also want to look at, are you mistreating him? Honestly question that. But vice versa goes also. If you're not, if you're not admitting his role, and this is what I see a lot in the socialists today, is they think that all people who entrepreneurs who start businesses are somehow taking advantage and exploiting other people. They don't, most, most businesses, small businesses especially, are people struggling to make ends meet. That they're risking everything, sometimes their home, not just their business, all their capital, everything, working long, hard, arduous hours to make their business go. And they have a few employees. And if those employees are slacking off but still want to get paid, well, that's not right. You have to look at both sides and realize who, see them for the value that they are. So anyway... This idea of going outside of the expertise of the enemy. If you if you're honest and you're being honest, you about yourself as well as others, that won't work against you. And this is what I see in a lot of the disputes we have. You know, we talked about it in one of the last shows. Was suddenly now it's okay. Infanticide is okay. You know, you can, if, if a baby survives an abortion, you can, you can kill it by neglect. You know, I mean, people go to jail because of that, but a doctor gets to do it. You know, there was a girl who 
and well, I won't go into the whole story, but uh, she was a she concealed young girl concealed her pregnancy. Was afraid to share the information with her parents and everything. Had the baby alone, and went and and laid it, I guess, on the doorstep of her neighbors. Thought that they would find the baby, and they didn't find the baby in time, and the baby froze and died. And she went to jail for murder. But that's what is now legal in New York and a lot of other places want to make that legal. There's a spirit getting into people that's allowing them to have the delusion that immorality is morality. That murder is mercy. You know, this is why they throw gays off of buildings in Saudi Arabia and or I guess in, at least, is it Iraq? Or Iran, I guess, is where they were doing that. Because they they believe that they're being merciful. You see, murder becomes a mercy. The euthanasia will become a mercy. And euthanasia is practiced daily in America today. They They have a very clever way of doing it, and they don't want to admit it, because... They're not willing to be experts at what they're doing. They don't want to see the truth about what they're doing. But it happens every day. Every day in America. In Europe, it's a, it's a real problem as well. More so, I think, in Europe. So that was rule three, rule four. Again, we're supposed to be striving for righteousness. That, that's the key element here. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to see the whole truth. So, in number four, make the enemy live up to his own book of rules. Good idea. Their idea is uh, that if they have to reply to every letter, their plan was to write 30,000 letters and swamp them so they cannot do a good job. That's their intent. That was their plan. Uh, that's not good. You're You're trying to make them fail, like people trying to make Trump fail. You know, the... the they, they've switched 180 degrees off of what was supposedly their standards and, and their beliefs to make Trump fail. Because that's really what their goal is. Their goal is never what's good for people. They just want to make, you know, that, what do they call it? Trump derangement syndrome. Not that I advocate Trump. I advocate the kingdom. But you can see this bias in the media against the the sitting president and christ warned you against doing that Uh, the old testament warned you against that you had to you were to pray for the king hope he did right hope he was successful you're not supposed to try to bring him down by certainly not by uh machiavellian uh plots and plans so while holding our opponents to their words we should be again seeking that righteousness and doing so in as noble a way as possible. Even bandaging his wounds, helping him, rather than trying to destroy him and bring him down. But anyway, uh, number five, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. Well, no, it's a tactic that was born in hell. It's a tactic of the proud and the wicked. And uh, it is certainly not the tactics of Christ who condemn the Pharisees for not attending to the weightier matters. So anyway, number six, a good tactic is one your people enjoy. Well, unless, of course, they're sadistic. <laughs> so 
you know, that is, you know, you know, what, what's making them happy may not be good. No, you have to have a different measurement of, of morality and social virtue. Uh, it, it doesn't, it may, you know, it may make them happy to do really bad things. And eventually it will make them unhappy because really bad things will come to them. Because as I said at the beginning, as you judge, so shall you be judged. Number seven, the tactic that drags on too long becomes a drag. So he's, he's talking about quick and decisive victories, which if you're talking about real battle, that may be a good idea. But the reality is Jesus was talking about striving and persevering because, uh, you know, keeping the faith to the end. So these tactics are really Luciferian tactics or can be construed that, that way. And of course, evil can appear at times to be good. So it's a mix of things. I'm just so that you take a look at these. But really what we want to get into is the tactics of Christ. Uh, he says in number eight, keep the pressure on, never let up. Well, that's the perseverance. But again, he's making an opponent of the other side rather than trying to convert both sides to righteousness. He's not a peacemaker. He, he's, he's trying to create rebellion and cause one side to fail. Unfortunately, if that's your goal to make a, somebody in your community fail, then that's what you judge. And as you judge, so shall you be judged. So there's only a couple more rules here. We'll look at them in the next show. And uh, then we'll get on to the really good stuff, which is uh, the rules for righteousness. But before that, we'll also look at one other thing. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're looking at these 12 rules for radicals. And uh, number nine was the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. Imagination and ego can dream up many more consequences than any activist. So the idea is that they're going to manipulate the thinking of others. And this is kind of tied in with rule number 10, which is if you push a negative hard enough, it will push through and become a positive. What does that mean? Well, he talks about, you know, violence from other side can win the public to your side because the public sympathizes with the underdog. So you want to appear as the underdog, appear as the victim, have other people attack you. Well, that's what you see a lot in the uh, Antifa movement now, although the Antifa people are often the ones doing the attacking. But everybody, this victim, they they strive to be the victim. Uh, you know, like uh, we're victims of white supremacists and you cannot even find white supremacists anymore. They're, they're so rare in this country. But So then they say, well, if you're white, you're you automatically privilege. And I can give you all kinds of black people who say that there is no white privilege, but there is black privilege. That's what affirmative action is. So, but they're not really interested in being experts. In other words, to see the truth. So they get all mixed up in their delusion because they want to be justified because their identity comes from their political ideology rather than from their individuality. Because individuality requires individual morality. And they don't want that. They want to identify with an ideology. And then once you identify with an ideology, then you can go read the article on 
ideological uh, subversion and see how they manipulate the ideology so that you become the very beast, the very criminal that you're supposedly fighting against, which is, you know, Che Guevara is one of the prime examples of this. Che Guevara, rich kid, who felt like people were being oppressed and wanted to do something about it and got a part of the communist revolution. And then he just oppressed people left and right. He was a murderer. You know, I just, I just, just would almost think it was funny when I see, you know, black activists wearing Che Guevara t-shirts as if somehow he's their revolutionist. He absolutely hated blacks. He wanted to exterminate them. He thought they were less than human. <laughs> so, and the, here they are promoting the very guy who went, you know, I mean, he put a gun to the head of children and shot them. Young kids, young girls, uh, tied up and, and executed them. He was not a good guy. <laughs> not, not in the least. But if you don't know your history, you won't realize that. But, the point here is this, it doesn't, he, you can't push a negative and turn it into a positive. Uh, this is, this is Emperor Palpatine kind of logic, you know. Anger draws you into the dark side, according to Yoda, but the Emperor wanted poor Luke to get angry, because it would give you power. But what eventually destroyed the Emperor was the fact of forgiveness and compassion. But he couldn't see forgiveness and compassion. He couldn't see the power of forgiveness and compassion and sacrifice. He couldn't see the power of that because he's not in a kingdom of his own. He's imprisoned in his own prison, which we call hell. And that's what these these kinds of ideas, you know, some of these ideas are kind of good, but then... Where do they actually lead you to? Because the, the mix and how they mix together. They're drawing you into the dark side. And the dark side will be a prison where no light can come in for you. And you simply will not see where the real power is. What we're seeing going on playing out today in the media where you have you know, have these two sides. These two dialectics. Republican and Democrat or or left and right, they they divide things up into left side and right side, and they create this dialectic. The reality is they're both over there on this side of creating conflict and creating enemies, and they're in this engaged in this battle of uh, being angry at one another. And you're uh, you're conservative now that right at the moment the Democrats have the power in Congress, I guess, in the Senate. What they, uh, but they're, the, the, the conservatives don't have the moral character to win this battle because, you know, they have some moral character, but they don't have enough to win this battle because they're fighting it all on the wrong tactics. Because they're, they're still over here in this dialectic, which we have articles on what a dialectic is. But number 11, because we'll get through with these last two is the price of successful attack is a constructive alternative. Uh, never let the enemy score points because you're caught without a solution to the problem. Even if your solution is not a real solution, just you declare it to be a solution. Like I said, you have this delusion that you're a millionaire, you're, you're, 
you're a female or you're a male when you're actually the opposite. And it's, it's a delusion. It's not real. And, but people, people become so in love with having their own delusion, they want to allow everybody else their delusion. So you have a, a nation of deluded people. The problem is delusionalism is contagious. It carries over into other aspects of your life and you will not see the whole truth. That's why, you know, that they, if you will not step outside of what you imagine to be your field of expertise, it's because if you do step outside, you may find out you're not quite the expert you thought you were. And, and that's what they're doing is they're trying to re- avoid reality. And if you make a habit of trying to avoid the truth, the reality, that first they want to say there is no truth. You know, this is the uh, postmodernism. There is no truth. There is no absolutes. You know, if it's true for you, then it's true. That That is sucking you into the dark side. It's <laughs> really a bad place to go. There it are standards of truth and reality in the universe. Uh, the, the laws of physics, the laws of cause and effect, they are real. And that's why Christ talks so much about the law of cause and effect. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. You, If you will not forgive, you cannot be forgiven. Give so that, that you know, freely give so that you may freely receive. I mean, it's this, it's the law of cause and effect. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's the, that's the principle. Number 12, pick the target, freeze it personalize it, polarize it. Does that sound like a good idea? He says, cut off support network, uh, cut off the support network and isolate the target uh, from sympathy, you know, often by fraudulent means. Go after people and not institutions. Uh, so they're not dealing with principles, they're just attacking. It's the ad, ad hominem. That's why you see so many ad hominems coming out of the left today. But you, you also see them coming out of the right because, again, they don't have the moral character to fight uh, in this dialectic. You want to be separate from this dialectic. And so they talk about, you know, these false accusations at people and and uh, to create these false criteria, you know, that uh, in the argument, you know, challenge them. Oh, yeah, but they did this. But they, I mean, I could go into all the details. But let's let's actually go back to this thing that uh, this article, um, the useful idiot article that uh, Snopes talks about, that Sololinsky did not write these eight-point plan to socialism. We took a little quick look at what Sololinsky did write. What He did not write the eight-point plan for socialism to create socialism. It was actually, as far as an eight-point plan, we already seen that it was around way back in 1934. Uh, by the little cartoon at the top of the page, which says, spin, 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 under the guise of recovery, bust the government, blame the capitalists for the failure, uh, junk the Constitution and declare a dictatorship. That was that was the goal back in 1934. And uh, But the reality is, is that this uh, this plan, which kind of echoes that, was written in the 60s. And it was written by two guys, uh, Cloward and Piven, or two, Piven is a woman, Francis Piven. Uh, but it was written in 1966, basically written, although there were elements of this around. This is the, the most famous 
uh, creation of it. And it's the, called the Cloward, uh, Cloward Piven strategy. And it explains how you could, uh, hasten the fall of capitalism by overlord, uh, by overloading the entitlement system, which, uh, would push society into an economic crisis and collapse. That would unleash chaos and violence in the streets, uh, opening the door to radical leftist political change. Because they believed in communism, they believed in this, that somehow, but the reason they believed that communism would work is because they've already closed their minds to the, the truth. This is the, the fact that they're not really experts in history. They're not really experts in human nature, which is why people like Jordan Peterson are gaining such popularity is that he's a clinical psychologist. He understands people just because he spent a lifetime trying to figure out what makes people tick and how that works and what doesn't work and what is destructive to the personality and what actually improves their life because he's been watching it firsthand. Snope sees this, these eight points attributed to Alinsky and they make a big point out of that's false. But the points are not false. It's just Alinsky didn't write them. And their whole critique of this, these eight points, they they don't even mention Cloward Piven, who wrote them. <laughs> and so the fact that the uh, conservative is not doing their homework and they're just repeating what somebody said that was incorrect uh, allows Snopes to come along and say, oh, this is false. This is just ridiculous. Well, it's it's real. The, not only are these people implementing this and uh, wrote it, implemented it, it's actually been taking place. It's a part of history now. Michael Reich and uh, Janice Andrews wrote in the book uh, Road Not Taken that Coward and Piven proposed to create a crisis in the current welfare system by exploding, exploiting the gap between welfare law and practice that would ultimately bring about the collapse and replace it with a system of guaranteed annual income. They hoped to accomplish this end by informing the poor of their rights to welfare assistance. You know, you have a right to health care. You have a right. They they disregard the actual facts of how this comes about. If you have a right, and, and I, I see conservatives trying to explain what they're missing, but they don't quite understand it either because they're really on the left too. They're both over there on the left. Some are right side of the left side. <laughs> Some are the left side of the left side. But the reality, they all are engaged in covetous practices. You do not have a right to take away from your neighbor his life, his well-being. And, and that's why you see them saying that infanticide is okay now. Because they've already been taking away the life of one another for years. Like Polybius said, they've become accustomed to living at the expense of others. You think, oh, not me. I don't. Do you send your kids to public school? Do you have the government in a bankrupt system taking care of your parents? You're not taking care of them? Well, that's that's covetous practices. You want your neighbor. And 
does your government borrow against the future of your children and your unborn children in order to provide all these services that you should be providing for yourself? Yes, they do. All these nations are borrowing against the future of their children and unborn children, of their their own children and their neighbor's children. That's coveting those children's goods, their life, their sweat, their toil. But people can't see that because they would have to look at themselves. They'd have to become an expert in the problem. So they they don't they don't see that. So uh Reich and Andrews they said they hoped to accomplish this end by informing the poor of their rights to covet their neighbor's goods. They don't have a right to covet their neighbor's goods. <laughs> so anyway, Coward and Piven as uh, confirmed progressive socialists, they were. Alinsky claimed he wasn't a socialist. He didn't advocate socialism. He was against it. He thought it was detrimental. He wasn't entirely being honest with himself in that. And maybe he wasn't even entirely being honest. But Cloward and Piven, they were socialists. And they were not apologetic for it. Inspired by the philosophy of communism, the organizing skills of Saul Alinsky. So his organizing skills is what brought them together. And they were also supposedly inspired by the Watts riots of August 1964. I lived right next to Watts at that time uh, during those riots. We we could actually hear gunfire from our front yard. (laughs) So uh, they believed that chaos would need to be achieved before they could introduce their progressive political ideology, which was the ideology of democratic socialism masquerading as the salvation of the people. This is still going on today. All the things that they mention in their eight points have, you can actually, if you have any memory, you know, if you're not, you know, a a teenager, uh, or if you've done any studying of history, even your recent history, you can see that all these things have been been implemented on a regular basis. They both admittedly understood that welfare, like the free bread of Rome, weakened the poor by providing an all-too-convenient social safety net, which worked as the opiate of the people, which was socialism. And what what have I said many times? Socialism is the religion you get when you lose your religion. Because religion was not what you think about a supreme being. That was not the definition of religion for for thousands of years. It is the def, uh, definition today. But just 200 years ago, the definition of religion was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Is how you took care of the needy in your society. That's what religion was. But when you lose that and you think religion is just what you think about Jesus, then the only religion you have left is socialism. And socialism brings you back to the bondage of Egypt, to the oppression of Rome. To, and so that you have no daily ministration in your church if you need any bread to be rightly divided from house to house, you go to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. Something Christ said it was not to be that way with Christians. 
with the followers of Christ. If a Christian is a follower of Christ, it's somebody who's doing what Christ said to do and not doing what Christ said not to do. Christ said to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, to love one another, using the word that is also translated charity, to take care of one another. And the early church was rightly dividing the bread from house to house in a daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity, while Rome was dividing the bread from house to house based on a system of force. John the Baptist said, don't do it by force. Do it by charity, sharing. So the the cultural elements of Christianity have been removed from the modern Christian culture. They are doing things more like the Pharisees did them. Because they've lost sight of the basics of the gospel of the kingdom. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Even through the agency of governments. Cloward and Piven promoted this idea of coveting. Because they knew it would change the nature of the people. As well as change the nature of society. I don't know if they actually... You know, read Polybius, but that, you know, are they that demonic that they could read Polybius and say, oh yeah, we can change people? <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, uh, Coward told the New York Times in September 27th, 1970, this is about the time the, the, that Solinsky was about to publish his book. He hadn't, I think he published it in 71. Rather than placating the poor with government handouts, activists should work to sabotage and destroy the welfare system. It would call for cadres, I'm quoting here, of aggressive organizers to use demonstrations to create climate of militancy in a massive drive to recruit the poor onto the welfare rolls. This is back in the 70s. Swamping the bureaucracy with new applicants and bankrupting government. George Alvin Wiley and others uh, used the crisis, this crisis strategy, uh, through the National Welfare Rights Organization, which uh, certainly added to the bankruptcy of New York City, which took place just five years later. Uh, Sol Stern. Uh, on, he was an author in the Manhattan Institute City Journal, wrote, The flooding succeeded beyond Wiley's wildest dreams. From 1965 to 1974, the number of single-parent households on welfare soared from 4.3 million to 10.8 million, despite mostly flush economic times. By the early 1970s, one person was on the welfare rolls in New York City for every two working in the city's private economy. Now, that's just amazing that one-third of the people were now, uh, compared to the private economy, were now on welfare rolls. So, that this is actually your history now. This has already happened. And I, on the page, I named a number of the other organizations that followed the same tactics. So, what are those eight points? Can we get to those eight points? I think we have some time. We'll probably get interrupted, but we can finish it up. 
The Clara Piven, eight points. This is what is sometimes attributed to Alinsky, but it isn't really Alinsky's, Alinsky's plan or authorship. It was just that they used Alinsky's organization skills to bring about those cadre of people to get more and more people on the welfare rolls and actually get the government going out getting people on the welfare rolls. And now they're importing people from foreign countries, want to take down any kind of border restrictions and seducing people with the bait like, you know, like the pig into eating the corn until they finally shut the gate. But anyway, the the eight points are first one, health care, control health care and you control the people. Uh, that was one of their plans. Poverty. Increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control and will not fight back if you are providing everything for them to live. This is why we say homeschool, home education, private education, group education, whatever. Every congregation should be working this. And there's there's so many things in the works. But you can't do it unless you're doing the rules that Christ said, sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because you have to gather together. But you don't do it by contract. You don't create big corporations. You do it by free assemblies. Because the bonds are invisible bonds of love and caring and honor. Now, this will change you. This will give you a rebirth, which we will talk about later, probably in this afternoon's show. What it meant to be born again. That That is one of the... The original word for freedom, way back in cuneiform writing, back in Sumeria, the original word that they translate into freedom had to do with being born again. And we'll explain that later. But anyways, so the, the first item was control health care, uh, increase poverty, which has actually been taking place, uh, increasing the number of people on welfare rolls, broken homes. All your problems are coming out of that. Almost every one of your mass shooters is coming from these same broken homes that that uh, these two socialists were trying to create in order to bankrupt the system. Cloward and Piven, breaking the homes, breaking down marriage, breaking down the social institutions. That's where your your mass shooters are coming from. 26 out of 27 of the most uh, effective mass shooters have come from broken homes. That percentage is... Is more than just telling. So increase debt. Are we increasing debt? Go look at the debt clocks. They're just skyrocketing up. Every time, you know, they think it's a new victory because they increase the debt ceiling. They actually call failure success now. <laughs> They're calling good evil and evil good. Uh, so they increase the debt. Uh, not only private debt, but the public debt, uh, substantial levels, almost unbelievable levels just in the last few decades. Gun control, remove the ability to defend themselves from government. That's That was one of their plans, number four. Uh, number five, welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives, food, housing, income, education, everything. And of course, education is the sixth one. Take control of what people read and listen to. The media, almost all the media is controlled by them. Even what we call the right, you know, like Fox News. They're still advocating public education. They're still advocating Social Security. Uh, they're advocating all these things. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying tear these systems down. That's not my plan. That's not Christ's plan. That's why he wasn't 
telling people to tear down Rome or tear down the Pharisees. He was telling them to repent, think a different way, start taking care of one another. And we'll get into the 12 rules of Christ. And I only break down these rules so that you can understand and see how it works. And we only have, we're only halfway through. We've got these, uh, well, we're not, we're a little over halfway through, but we'll cover that when we return to Keys of the Kingdom. And then we'll show you some other rules that people have listed that are either good or bad. And so that you understand what you're up against and what you can do about what you're up against. We'll be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're looking at these eight points to the road to socialism written by Cloward uh, Piven. And they wanted control of health care. So what would you do to prevent them from getting control of health care? Is vote for somebody who's going to dismantle Obamacare? No. Start taking responsibility for your own health. Most of your health problems result from what you eat. You are what you eat. If you're unhealthy, it's probably because you're eating unhealthy things. There's also, you know, work can keep you healthy. You know, your physical activity, you know, no pain, no gain. Poverty. What, what do you do to eliminate poverty? Uh, outlaw rich people? <laughs> force, force distribution of wealth? No. The, the, everybody can tell you that if you, especially in America... That if you come together as a family and you work together, you stay married, you you are diligent in learning and applying yourself, that you will probably not be in poverty. If you do this as a community, even more so. So that brings us to the third thing, debt. They want to increase debt. How do you decrease debt? Well, that you start taking, you help one another get out of debt and stay out of debt. You become the social safety net of the other people in your congregations, not to be slothful, but to be, to be actually uh, diligent in the righteous ways of Christ. Gun control, so that you can't defend yourself, that is their fourth thing. But it isn't guns that make you safe. It's, it's caring about one another as much as you care about yourself. That's what's going to bring that invisible power of God to your side. I'm not saying don't have guns, but if you think your salvation is in having guns, you've made a big mistake. Your salvation is coming together and being a government of love for one another. And this is what why you sit down in the tens. If you sit down in the tens, you can help eliminate poverty and debt and bad health, as well as create a system of defense so that you're not alone. You're you're gathered together, but you're not bound by contract. You're bound by love and honor. Welfare, they want control of the welfare. Well, you're uh, what that the welfare that they're talking about is the welfare that is a snare that David talks about and Paul talks about. What should have been for your welfare has become a snare. You don't want that welfare. You want the the daily ministration of rightly dividing the bread from house to house for those people who are truly in need. And then you want to strengthen the poor so that they're not in need anymore. And then they become an asset to society instead of actually the draw on society. Education. Well, that's a no-brainer. You should be educating your kids yourself and gathering together in every congregation, which is uh, should be your homeschool club. That's what your congregation is. And then you work together in your congregations of congregations and you can 
You can create deals where your children can get diplomas and go on to higher education. There's no limit to what you could do if you had a little bit of imagination along the lines of the early church who were doing these. Religion. He says, remove a belief in God, you know, from the government schools was, was their plan. Well, you're already homeschooling, so it doesn't really make any difference. <laughs> and, um, you know, we've done plenty of programs showing that homeschoolers are way, way more well-adjusted and more capable of accomplishment than the people that are coming out of the public school system. The dumbing down. They actually, there are several states that are now considering to lowering the age, uh, the, the percentage point for an F. When I went to school, anything below 70 was an F. Somewhere along the line, this changed. I didn't even know this. I didn't get that memo that it was anything below, what was the, the numbers? Like 59, I think, was an F. You had to get below 59 to be an F. Now they want to lower it to 39%. Anything below 40% is an F. <laughs> what, what is that? I had to get 70% or I was, it was an F. Now you have to only get 40%. That's just unbelievable. You talk about dumbing down. And, of course, then they want to create class warfare. And Paul had to deal with this thing. No more Greek. No more Jew. No more this and that. You're not dividing people up by race or nationality. Because you're not seeking nationalism. You're seeking righteousness first. And nationalism second. And uh, not even second. You won't need to seek nationalism if you seek righteousness first. So anyway, then I have on the same page the 10 communist rules for revolution. And uh, I probably won't go through all of them because I do want to touch on. Uh, but I have a number of other lists of 12, uh, the 12 rules for a life we have listed there, which is Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 rules for a life. And. An antidote to chaos, and uh, his twelve rules are actually very much more metaphorical than the ones that we've been looking at. So, I mean, his start with like stand up straight and uh, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Uh, make friends with people who want the best for you. Well, all those kinds of short little brief statements need explanation. Of course, that's what's in his book. And uh, you don't want to read. You can go on YouTube and. There's plenty of people talking about it. But uh, it, back to those uh, rules for the communist rules for revolution. Uh, you you can hear them talked about a great deal on the ideological subversion page where you listen to Yuri uh, Bezmenov, who was a KGB agent and uh, defected way back in the 1980s, I think. Anyway, the interview was 1985. And again, people were moving in the direction that the KGB could not believe their success because the people just gravitated towards some of the ideas that they were going to try to, thought it would be difficult to promote in America. And of course, one of the great inroads is the media and public education was allowing them to bring in these ideas. He, you know, like I said, he he realized this demoralization and destabilization and creating crises and so that uh, certain ideas would become normalized in our thinking so that and that's of course going back to Polybius who said 
becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others. And so that now people think it, they actually, I have the right to live at your expense. That's what they think. You do not have a right. How could you have a right to live at other people's expense? You're taking away their right. If you think it's okay to take away the rights of others for your personal benefit, you will have your rights taken away for somebody else's personal benefit. And that's okay in the realm you have created for yourself. You are actually aligning your mind with a dominion of, what well, if you want to use the word, hell. That's what you're doing. You're aligning your mind with the thinking of Satan. If we go to Ephesians, and somebody brought this up, quoting from Ephesians 4.23. It says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that's what we're seeing is that these uh, Piven and and uh, others are renewing you in the spirit of their mind. And the spirit of their mind is a covetous mind who covets their neighbor's goods and want to benefit from that covetousness. That's what communism and socialism is all about. They're they're promoting covetous practices for your benefit. And the spirit of that is getting into your mind so that you cannot see that there's another way. And of course, Christ comes along preaching this other way. And so, in the Bible, they're talking about be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Along what lines? Along the lines of uh, Cotter and Piven? Or along the lines of Jesus Christ. And uh, verse 24 he goes on to say. And that ye put on the new man. Which after God is created in righteousness. And true holiness. So again you're supposed to be seeking this righteousness. And it is not righteous to take away from your neighbor to benefit yourself. Especially by force. Wherefore putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. That is not what I got out of Saul Alinsky's plan. Because <laughs> he was talking deception and Machiavellian deception and sneakiness all the time. He says, and this is the verse that showed up where they asked, Be ye angry and sin not. So is is the Bible promoting you to be angry? Is that what it's doing there? Go back to that promoting slavery. The Bible does not promote slavery. Be ye angry and sin not. Colon, which is put in there by the translators. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Be ye angry. See, it just depends on how you read it. Be ye angry, sin not. That's what they're trying to tell you. How do you sin not? Don't let the sun set down on your wrath. This is the same as the quote that we see in Matthew of Raqqa. If you have, if you have, uh, you know, a beef with your brother and uh, you're angry with him, go and settle with your brother before you bring your sacrifice to the altar. Make peace with your brother. I mean, there are people who didn't like some of the things that I've said or done and so they abandoned the entire network. Why in the world would you do that? You're abandoning your neighbor and your brother. No, come together. You're seeking righteousness. 
You don't have to agree with me. You have to agree with Christ. And and a lot of times when people disagree with things that I say, it's because they don't understand what I'm saying. And so, but, you know, you don't have to believe that. Because, again, you're not supposed to be following me. You're supposed to be following Christ and Christ's example. And if you were, you would start looking like the early church. You would not be going to men who exercise authority one over the other. You would not be coveting your neighbor's goods. You would be laying down your life daily. And you would be sitting in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in free assemblies taking care of one another's health, education, and welfare. But you're not doing that because you've abandoned the way. But anyway, he goes on to say, neither give place to the devil. Place. Place to the devil. What had I just been talking about? What did Saul Alinsky say? Got his own kingdom. His kingdom is a, a prison. It's not a, his own dominion. He's got legal title to his cell. He gets to stay in his cell. He's created a, a, a prison for himself. He's created a prison for himself by rebelling against God. And if you're following in, the, in many of these ways that we've just been outlining, then you're rebelling against God as well. You're rebelling against the God of nature. And you are going to be subject to the cause and effect thereof. And as you judge, so shall ye be judged. And as you take away the freedom of others, you will lose your freedom. And somebody else will devour you as you wanted to take a bite out of your neighbor. You will be devoured. The the one person they talk about in Proverbs, the net is laid before the bird and, and he is captured in the, the, the net of his own making. That's what this is all about. So anyway, let him that stole steal no more. So he's talking about, okay, let him that coveted, covet no more. Desire no more for the benefits of the world that is operating in those covetous practices. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another in righteousness, in love instead of anger and resentment. And he talks about laboring, working with his hands, the things which is good that he may have to give to him that need it. So that you practice the sharing. This is how the renewing of the mind comes about. This is how the rebirth comes about. Goes on to say, uh, let him, uh, let no corrupt communication proceed out of the mouth. Well, you can't follow Alinsky's rules. If you're not going to have corrupt communications proceed out of your mouth, because he had all kinds of Machiavellian plans there. But that which is good to the use of edifying, not tearing down others, but edifying others, that it may minister grace into the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Remember how he was, you know, using ridicule and and all these things. You don't want to be doing that. To put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Because if you don't, 
If you're dividing the people, if you're separating yourselves out from the tens, hundreds, and thousands, ain't going to be no loaves and fishes for you in the kingdom. As a matter of fact, you're not even going to be able to see the kingdom. You need to swallow your pride and come together in those tens, hundreds, and thousands and start being the kingdom of God instead of seeking the, you know, the dominion of Satan, which is where most people are headed. But anyway, we could go on in Ephesians and Ephesians 5, but we'll, uh, we'll run back over here to, uh, the rules for who? The communist rules for revolution? You know, uh, corrupt the young. I think that's pretty well done. Uh, get control of all means of, uh, publicity. That's the media. I think that's pretty well done. We see even Facebook is constantly leaning in this one direction and removing. I mean, they let this Momo character wander around uh, telling children how to commit suicide and, and deceive their parents and lie and all these other kinds of things. And, uh, but they, you know, they go and, and, uh, censure all kinds of other people. Uh, what the heck? They have the technology to stop all those kinds of, I don't know if you know who the Momo character is. You probably don't want to even Google it. But, uh, you should be careful of letting your kids even get on social media at all. There's a lot of evil out there, more so than you can see. The, the Momo character is clearly evil. Although you can, I can show you articles talking about this Momo character, uh, that they actually uh, say, oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> but these are the same people that are delusional about, uh, so many other things. They, they don't know what is bad and what is good. But it says, get, get people's minds off of their government by focusing their attention on, uh, athletics, uh, sexy books and other trivialities. And then when they do get their mind on government, create a dialectic where they're divided, which is number four, divide the people into hostile groups by constantly harping on, uh, controversial matters of no importance, which of course is the whole Trump deranged syndrome. You ever notice how angry everybody is and how unreasonable everybody is? And that's why I say I find myself actually coming to the defense of Trump. I don't want to do that. <laughs> but I, I, I want to pray for Trump. I hope he does well. Hope he does right. Hope he begins to seek righteousness. I don't want, you're not going to accomplish anything by just tearing down other people all the time. Besides what you really can do something about is what you do. You're not going to make other people do what you want them to do, but you could be doing a lot more than you, and Christ was giving you that plan. Like I said, we'll talk about that in the show this afternoon. It talks about destroy the people's faith in natural leaders by holding the ladder up to contempt, which again, back what Saul Alinsky was doing in his Selective little groups trying to, you know, get good wages and opportunities for workers and everything that was being denied them. And, but see, that tactic was just simply carried over by Cloward Piven to do terrible things, which they have already done and already moved this country. I mean, how are you going to reverse the debt now? Is there any hope? Have we gone past the point of no return? Well, as a nation, probably, yes. We have gone past the point of no return. But as an individual, you can repent right now, which is what repenting is, is turning around and going the other direction. 
You can do something about that. You personally can do something about that. And I tell you, this hidden power of Christ, of Christ's Spirit, will come into you and you'll be born again. And again, I'll explain more about being born again in the afternoon show. Always preach true democracy. No, democracy, like I've said, if you look up the definition of democracy, I should put a life link to democracy. Democracy until after, sometime after 1927 was considered an evil form of government. A bad thing. Something you didn't want to fight for. But by 1954, it was in the same publication, it was now completely reversed. This is that they're changing your mind, but you're looking in the wrong places for the answers. So it, it is changing your mind. But Christ can change it back. And then number seven, by encouraging government extravagance, destroying its credit and producing fear and inflation. That was a plan. That's your history. You've already done that. Number eight, foment unnecessary strikes in vital industries, encourage civil disorders, foster a lenient and soft attitude on the part of government towards such uh, disorders. That's all gone in the past. Now, now you know, most businesses, many businesses, many important businesses have gone overseas. Uh, people are uh, fighting over ridiculous things arguing about ridiculous things that, I mean, we've gone so far beyond this plan. You should be reading the second list um, that is a part of this plan. It says, by uh, specious arguments cause the breakdown of the old moral virtues, honesty, sobriety, continence, faith, just goes on and on, individual ruggedness. They want all that to go away, and it has gone away. We're more unhealthy, more poorly educated, Less morals than any other time in the history of America. And they put down everything. When was America ever great? Well, you wouldn't know. You don't even know history. Because they stopped teaching history in your public school years and years ago. So, yeah, you, you wouldn't know when America was great. You have to remember America and the United States are not synonymous terms. But there was greatness in America at one time. Not as great as it should have been, maybe, but a lot better than it is today. But anyway, uh, another whole. I'm sure people want to argue that, and we'll have to do that in some other long conversation. But number ten, cause the registration of all firearms on uh, some pretext with the view of confiscating them and leaving the populace helpless. What again? What leaves you more helpless than anything else? is you don't have the religion of Christ, or the religion of early Christianity. And the religion of early Christianity required that the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that they could actually love one another, care for one another, create that daily ministration that operated by faith, hope, and charity, not the forced tribute of Caesar and the violence of a government that exercised authority one over the other. Uh, so anyway, then I go into the 12 rules for life, which you can, there's, I probably should link that to some of their pages so that you can go and if you're completely unfamiliar, you can kind of see because you can't really tell from the list. I just put it here because there's a lot of lists on this page and, uh, but it's metaphor. So it's difficult to see exactly what he's talking about, but it's very basic. Uh, approach to, to things is getting your own act together, 
uh, getting your own life together because you can't solve the problems of the world, but you can do something about your own life. And this is, he's having a profound effect on a lot of people. But after you stand up straight and clean your room, what do you do next? Where do you go after you get these, you know, you've done these 12 rules and you've implemented them in your life? Where do you go from next? And that's why I get into what I call the 12 rules of the way, which I wrote rapidly this morning. I have a lot of live links in this really brief description of the 12 rules. And they're basically, I'll just run over them. I think I have enough time here. I'm running out of time. Repent is the first one. Seek the kingdom of God because you love God. Seek the righteousness of God because you love one another. So there we've got the two commandments <laughs> that Christ summed up the Ten Commandments in right there. But then I go on to other things like sit down in the tens and live links. Forgive so that you may be forgiven. Love as in charity, loving one another. It's just basic common sense. Judge not, swear not, keep the commandments. These are all things Christ said. But until then, peace be upon your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.